Welcome, Wheatland family and friends. Thanks so much for joining us. You're listening to Cross Reference, a podcast of Wheatland Presbyterian Church. I am Luke LaDuc, senior pastor here at Wheatland, and I am joined weekly by our co-host, Dr. Dan Spanger, professor of history and chair of the Arts and Sciences Department at Lancaster Bible College. As a professor of history, Dan is a bright mind and engaging lecturer, and as an elder here to our Wheatland family, Dan has a warm heart for the gospel of Jesus and our life together as the body of Christ. And I am thrilled to dig more deeply into the scriptures with him each week as we tackle questions, explore connections, and generally unpack the sermon from the previous Sunday. Along the way, we'll take a few side streets, a winding road or two, but we'll never be quite so lost that you won't enjoy the scenery. Thanks for coming along. Welcome, Wheatland. This is Cross Reference. Um, I'm, I'm Keith now from our last conversation. I'm now calling myself the host. I had not use that term in previous podcasts, but I feel like that's viable at this point. Mm-hmm. Like okay, so I'm gonna call myself yeah. the host. And, uh, and because it's in the church, and I feel very personal, can I say your host? So um, <laughs> Dan Spanger, um, um, an elder at Wheatland with uh, Keith Winder. And Keith, this is your second uh, sermon in a row. Uh, Luke has uh, left the pulpit to you in great faith and trust mm-hmm. uh, that it would still be standing when he returns. And sometimes our faith works out. Sometimes our trust works out. <laughs> well, we weren't holding our breath. I don't. I don't. Yeah. Think, uh, we were looking forward. And I've heard. I've heard. Um, it, it's interesting. I think Bravo says last time about the different styles um, between you and Luke, and there's a lot of clarity. And I, you said last time simplicity. Um, that I know that's how you work things out in your own head. But I think it comes across as clarity. Um, you know, it's it's it, things are, are 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 boiled down to a nut that sort of makes sense as you walk through it. And I think that's helpful. So thank you for your work on this. Um, in this in this last sermon, you and you did you did bring up one of my favorite movies of all time. I, I wanted to make sure I, I you heard me say that. Oh wow, really? Yeah, oh. yeah I'm a huge fan of Wally, and I think I'm a, I'm a fan of Wally because it's at at some point it's the only other male influence in my home. <laughs> you know, I think. <laughs> I mean, every other Disney movie I have to watch because I have all daughters, princesses. And then yeah, yeah. This, this male robot shows up and he's a worker and he's cute and he's, you know, he's tough. And I, so I'm very grateful when Wally makes an appearance in my home. Well, it's interesting. Another movie that I love, was it called Castaway with Tom Hanks with the yeah, plane Castaway. crashed? Yeah, yeah. And like the first, Wilson. after the plane crashes, the first, like, you know, spoiler alert, even though it was 25 years ago, but like <laughs> after the plane crashes, he survives. And then it's really, there's, there's no dialogue for like 30 right. minutes or something. And Wally's very much like that. He's just running right. around, like doing his thing for, right. I don't know, 15, 20 minutes. And there's no, I, I for some And the girls are stressing out. That. All <laughs> my girls are like, just like stressing. And I'm like, it, and like, I'm like, you can't talk during a movie. And then I, <laughs> <laughs> so Wally and I just enjoy the peace and quiet that comes for a couple minutes in there. Um, so I, I appreciate you made the mention of it. You gave a pretty good rundown of the movie. I have to say, I was playing all the scenes over in my head. Uh-huh. You didn't do That's the voice good. though. No, I didn't. No, no, I, I'm not. Luke one. will sing from time to time from the pulpit. It would be nice if you did a voice or something. Yeah, well, I feel like as we talked about last week, you're the one who does voiceovers. Oh, oh I'm the, I'm true. not the one. So it seems okay. like, 
you are professionally qualified or at least yeah, yeah, you, had, you had potential true. professional qualification. Yeah, that's right. And, I have one time was potentially qualified. Yeah. All right, I'll leave that to me. I just, I, I didn't know if, if once Wally got mentioned, the voice would come out, but it, it didn't. Yeah. So. And I love that. I love the idea that you, you referred to the uh, refrigerator as the arc. I thought that was really, I didn't see that coming. So usually I see those sorts of things coming and I just didn't see that coming, but. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. The, uh, the, I mean, everybody needs to watch it if they haven't already. I don't, I don't know what you're doing. Um, but right. what's your, what's your problem? <laughs> but the, the, the main writer and director is Andrew Stanton, who's a, who's a Christian. And it's, and it's fascinating then to, to, I mean, I imagine for most people, it's an obvious arc story, whether you know that he's a Christian or not, but then it's really fascinating. And I wanted to write him, not that he would write back, but I wanted to write him and ask, did he mean for us to see the refrigerator as 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 the true arc? Right. But I didn't get around to doing it. And even if I had, it's not like that would have. That would have been important response. sermon research. I would have thought. Yeah, I know. I thought about like right early in the week. I thought, oh, did yeah, you he could have mean said, for that? You could have said something like, "Well, I spoke with the with the director and the." the guy. <laughs> yeah, I know. We, we chatted yeah, yeah, about this yeah. at some length. That <laughs> 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 gives some more validity to your to your argument. But um, of, of the things you were you were mentioning when you when you the one thing that's always struck me about the the Noah story, other than the, the you know the deluge and the death and all that, is that one statement that comes and my I remember Pastor when I was a kid making a big stink about this. You know, there's always there's always a but or a therefore or a God remembered or something that turns the story. And you you mentioned that um, in towards the beginning and your discussion of God remembering, of course, is not that. He lost memory or he couldn't figure it out or didn't happen to know Noah was down there like he walking along and oops oh I didn't I didn't realize you were still there I thought maybe you were gone <laughs> oh, yeah I made these promises oops. <laughs> <laughs> oh darn it I left the oven on just a little too long and Noah's still out there. But, uh -oh. but so you didn't you weren't saying that you were talking about the fact that God it went to remembers is a, is a commitment that Yahweh makes to his people um, in this case that's a statement of God's continuing faithfulness to Noah maybe you can unpack that a little bit and what you mean mean by that yeah it's it's really and I, I alluded to uh psalm 105 and 106 because those are i think a lot of people believe that they're a one psalm put together but they're really long but they they're a, a beautiful and also really depressing look mm. at this forgetfulness and and remembering um mm. of god's people and god and it's just one after another keeps saying, and I, I think it keeps even saying, they forgot God, they forgot God, um, God's people, we keep forgetting and forgetting. And of course, it doesn't mean that they forgot God existed. It right. meant they, they either refused or at, at the very least ceased to be faithful to God and his call on his people uh, in the law. And they refused to acknowledge him as king and kept looking for other things to bring fulfillment and bring happiness mm -hmm. and joy. And every time they did that, they fall apart and either God brings judgment or God just leaves them to their, to their own actions and, and the judgment happens in a sense. Um, but then right there at the end of, of Psalm 106, it says, but God remembers. And in the context of the verses, you can tell it's, it's not that God forgot. It's not that God, yeah, oh, I got to get back to my people. What's going on with them? Right. But it's that God, in contrast to his people, showed his faithfulness to his promises and mm -hmm. his covenant. Mm -hmm. And so as God establishes covenants with his people throughout history, and that's sort of what ties the scriptures and all this story together is God's covenants. It's always this back and forth of 
us forgetting and forgetting and forgetting and God remembering and remembering and continuing to draw us back to him. Mm. And so for me, I think it's a much more beautiful image of, of memory mm. uh, than we tend to think of, of memory. Right. Um, of course, you have, to, you have to remember in the way that we think of remember to also be faithful. So you right. can't completely forget someone or something to, right. to be faithful to it. But I think it's, it's a lovely, to see remembering as knowledge of something and action on that knowledge right. is, is a much better and more full picture of memory. Yeah, well, you know, if you think about like, um, you forgot your stove was on, let's just say something simple, you would, you would act without the urgency you should be acting with. Because I, I think you're right, it's not just an internal thing that it has to inform. So once you remember something, your behavior actually changes around the thing. Yeah. That, that's needed so that, you know, when, if we forget, we'll actually act as if, and it may look, we can say, oh, I know who God is, but we're actually acting in a way that's not in, in line with God's heart and will, then we are actually living as if we've forgotten. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Even yeah. if we, like you said, we still know he's there. We're actually not living in such a way that we know the oven's still on. So maybe we have forgotten. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, what's really, it's, um, I'm glad you put it that way. Cause it's oftentimes it's our actions that show prove our forgetfulness. Right, right, yeah. Right. So we act in a particular way and it shows, Oh, okay. You may, you may remember quote unquote, uh, but you've actually forgot, like you, you've forgotten. I'm sorry. You've just, you've forgotten. And, and that's, I mean, that's, that's the struggle of my life and your life and all of our lives that, that it is, it is a life of bouncing back and forth between remembering who God is and that shapes the way we live and then forgetting who God is, and that shapes the way we live. And when I, when I forget that God is committed to me, then I find something else yeah, right. that will give me comfort and refuge, right. because I've forgotten that God, oh, that God will do, that God can do this, and he will do this, and he's not just leaving me to find another place to find, to find rest, that, that God know, is the a, one that we come. There's a corollary there, which seems to me that we can, and I didn't, it just dawned on me as you were saying that, that the corollary is if we, if we treat our faith like we remember mentally, like we just happen to know it, sometimes that, that gives us the, we give ourselves leeway. We go, well, I know I'm not doing it right now. Trust me, I know, I know. Yeah. And I could go back to your statement about your anniversary and say, you know, honey, you didn't do anything. Oh, no, but I remember. I mean, I knew mm -hmm. it was our anniversary. It's not like I forgot. But, but yeah. that's, that's not cover when what you're supposed to do is actually obey, you know, love your neighbor, love your spouse. That, that's not cover. You remembered. <laughs> yeah 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 it's like if i come back to yeah if i if i do something against melanie and i and i come back to her and yeah i, I didn't forget I, I love you you know i love you i didn't forget well uh maybe maybe intellectually in that moment you loved me but you didn't you didn't you didn't live out you didn't treat me as though you loved you me forgot. in forgot yeah yeah and, and in that sense i for, i forgot yeah, yeah, yeah. uh i forgot about my commitment to self-sacrificing love of a husband and I and, and I acted in a different way I treated myself as my own god or whatever the situation mm -hmm. may have been and it's it's I think I, I think I've said it in like the last three sermons so maybe I should stop <laughs> but I say I, I keep saying something like isn't it great that god's not like us um probably because I have to keep reminding myself but but it is I mean it's isn't it wonderful things are worth repeating I think <laughs> yeah 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 I guess if you're gonna repeat something keep saying that I can repeat that one yeah but like it's it's, it is great. There's no, uh, great's not a good enough word, but it is, it is, 
it is great that God is not like us, that he keeps remembering over and over and over again his promises. Right, right. Now, that well, other part of that remembering piece, and I, I didn't know if you were, if this was inferred in there, because I know we're, we're saying that, you know, God is not faithless, and God is faithful, and God doesn't forget, and these sorts of things, but there's almost a sense in which Adam felt, or excuse me, Noah felt forgotten, and could, could we say that the term is there also to speak to the fact that there was the silence, that God didn't speak, that, and you, you talked about waiting, and I know that's something that you, you felt you could, you could tease out a bit more, but it, when it says God remembered, could we also say that's probably a fairly good statement about what Noah was feeling during that time when God wasn't saying anything about how long this is going to go on or what do I do now when I'm running out of food? <laughs> so yeah, there's something here also about, and I, maybe waiting is just the word that gets at it. Yeah, I, I think that's why, I mean, you just, it doesn't take long to find Psalms that, that talk about. Right the difficulty of waiting because and and psalms that even allude to the idea that that god is not speaking up or you know asking where are you how long O lord and and it seems um well i i i mentioned psalm 62 which starts uh for god alone my soul waits in silence and so that seems to me that Maybe, maybe David is waiting silently, and also it seems like God is being silent. And mm. so for there to be silence, both parties have to be quiet. Mm. And so David is experiencing, in the midst of his waiting for God to, to fulfill his promises, David is experiencing this silence. Mm. Um, and he keeps coming back, and he keeps coming back committed to God, and he, and he, he speaks of his enemies, how long will this happen? God, how long will you let this go on? Uh, and then he repeats, for God alone, oh, my soul, wait in silence, and my hope is only from him. And so, yeah, it, it does, I mean, we I'd be lying if I didn't say that there were times and there are particular things that have happened in my life uh, nearby in chronology and also in the history of my life where it didn't feel as though God was pretty silent even when I would cry out to him and say like, why is this happening? Like, what, what's going on? Like, show me how you are being faithful in the midst of this. Like I desperately need to see how in the midst of this particular thing you're being faithful. Hmm. And sometimes it feels like, like silence. Um, and I think, I, yeah, I, I had mentioned to you, I think that's, that's, the, that's how where Noah is living in the midst of this. Something's been promised. He's felt some sort of fulfillment uh, because it did rain and here he is. And so he does, there is a sense of he is being rescued, um, but it's not brought to completion. He could float out there the rest of his life and just right. die on the ark. And then God hadn't, didn't remember him if that was the case. Hmm. And so I think that's the same way that I live today and we all live today is we've seen God fulfill many of his promises and been faithful to so many of his promises. Um, but sometimes it feels like he's somewhat quiet in, in, in the space in between here. Hmm. Yeah. And, that, not, and, and that's yeah. the, I think you're right. That, that probably the most common feature of, of the Christian life, whether it be old Testament, new Testament, God's people is that they're always living between, between two promises. Right. And I like that. I like that you said that, yeah, the flood itself was the fulfillment of promise. That's helpful. So they, he did witness that. Even Israel that had to follow all the promises that God was made about Canaan saw the Red Sea first, right? So they knew there was the first one, which again is just a beautiful parallel 
of what they're about to experience and are experiencing compared to Noah, because they watched the floodwaters wipe out the Egyptians, mm -hmm. and now they're headed to new creation. Maybe they got this long desert or ocean or sea, whatever you want to call it, while they're getting themselves to this new creation promised land. And so they're always wedged between the one promise they saw, the resurrection for us, and the one promise we have yet to see, which is, you know, the kingdom come. So that 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 seems to be a very common feature to the Christian life, although it's I guess it's supposed to be comforting that Noah did get out of the ark. Mm -hmm. so that's, that's our sense that God is going to be faithful to finish whatever promise he started with us. Right, right. And I, and for me, and I, I think, I don't know, maybe this is an application that I pull from Noah. I didn't mention this or talk about this. But what gets me through the desert wandering or mm -hmm. what gets me through the time sitting on the ark as you're just floating around for months and months and months is that you can look back and see, oh, God has fulfilled particular promises in the midst of this. And so I might be, I may be waiting on, on, on something. I may be waiting for Jesus to return and make all things right again. Um, but I also look back and see all these other ways that God has been faithful. And so because right. he's been faithful there, I can trust that he'll be faithful right. in the next one. And so that's how I, I, that's how I read the Noah story. Of course, we don't, mm. it's, it's dangerous to do the psychology of Noah because God doesn't seem interested in that because he doesn't talk about it at all. But, but I mean, but he's got these promises that he can rest in. And then he also has the promises that he looks toward. And now he's in the midst of silence. And it's, a, of course, like you said, the people leaving Egypt and crossing the Red Sea and then wandering around in the book of, like the book of Numbers is our life. Right. <laughs> like we, we don't tend to read Numbers that much because it's pretty depressing. And it's like, man, it's just a lot of wandering around. It's like, well, that's, that's our life too. We, right. We've come through this salvation. We've come through the Red Sea, been brought through the waters of judgment. We've seen Jesus on the cross bring salvation and God bring judgment on sin and death. And now we are wandering around trying to be faithful as God is faithful to us until we reach this, the promised land. And like, we are, we are the book of numbers. Right. Um, and so, yeah. And sometimes in the book of numbers, it feels like God's quieter than we'd like him to be. Right. And that's how we are now. But we ought not be we ought not be living in numbers without reading Exodus. And I, I mean, if you because I, I think you're right. And that's a great way to read Noah. And I hope I hope everyone hears that because I, you know, I don't think that I've read Noah that way prior to this conversation, thinking over it and thinking that that's if you say, which God do you worship? I'm the God that that got Noah off the ark. Right. Like mm -hmm. I worship that God because I because I and this is what God always tells us people. Like, in fact, all of the sacrifices, well, the feasts anyway, and sacrifices Passover that you were supposed to, by law, by God's law, practice these things routinely. And even Sabbath is supposed to be practiced routinely because remembering, us remembering, if we go back to our first conversation, is a core responsibility of his people to always and always remember, put it on your forehead and stick it on the back of your hand and put it on your doorpost. Um, we need to tell ourselves these stories all the time so that we know from the one promise that God will fulfill the next one. I, I think that's that's powerful. And I, and I hope that's another reason for me to go back and study this is exactly so that we can build that confidence and speak it to one another, which I think is helpful. Yeah. And it's fascinating how our, I mean, our, our worship service is us remembering right. who God is and, and it's us reminding one another, Hey, we walk in on a Sunday morning right. and I, I have no idea how many of us, including myself, well, I know how myself, but I have no idea how, how any of us have done in remembering who yeah. God is. And what God's doing in the world throughout the week, but we come we come together, and and 
and sometimes it's probably frustrating for some people that everything in our worship service is written out and like we give you the words to say <laughs> primarily but then there are some weeks where i walk in and think oh this is great because i don't have the right words to say yeah. so now I, i'm giving them from the scriptures and our worship service is a constant reminder mm. uh, of who god is what god is doing and what he's doing with us and yeah and that's it's just as all these stories do this as well and then we come in and we gather together on a sunday morning and we are reminding each other mm. in a way that we may have not been able to throughout the week now we get to remind one another and be reminded by the spirit of god working in our service and right. through our confession and through preaching in the lord's supper like this is who god is this is yeah. what he's doing and then to live like it if we go back the way we were describing memories then to remember it is to live live by it and i i do i do feel that i think i think i've i've grown more in love with the church and and being in church in the last 10 years just as i as i watch the people around me remember for me like mm. i know what these people are going through i know what this person knows and yet here they are full-throated saying this confession and speaking what they know is just so encouraging and builds me up to recommit and it, and we'd be remiss if we didn't if we didn't bring up here in remembrance of me as the Lord's Supper, mm -hmm. which I think that 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 brings so much more depth to that because it's not just a memorial where we mentally remember it happens, but we rededicate ourselves in faithfulness to the crucifixion and a crucified Lord by taking up body and blood, which should never be separated. Once they're separated, it, it's a done deal, right? Mm, yeah. <laughs> Once the body and blood are separated from one another, it's pretty much over. But that's actually what we commit to is that the body and blood of Jesus are separated. And, and then and we remember that we recommit ourselves to crucifixion, crucified life, crucified church, you know, crucified, uh, crucified, um, well, the, the crucified Savior. I mean, this, this becomes our commitment. Yeah. And, and when you think about what is our, what is our, our only role in, in the Lord's Supper, in this do this remembrance of me is coming in faith. Yeah. And, it's, and it's in faith of what Christ has done for us. And knowing that what he has done points to what he will do. Right. And yeah, that, that's our action. Oh, it's, it's to live out in faith. So we do this, we take this small, maybe, maybe there's never any small step of faith, but in the Lord's Supper, we come forward and we take the body and blood of Christ. And that, that's an action of faith. We, we remember in faith, there's our action. But that, that action is a proclamation of the Lord's death over and over and over again until he comes. And that action moves us into the world. To, to remember in faith as we go and love our neighbor and love our spouses and love our friends and, and our coworkers and our enemies, if we have to, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> it's a resounding, <laughs> resounding commitment to Christ's command there, Keith. We all yes. <laughs> Sorry, that was, that was in parentheses, just barely snuck in at the end. We're no scare quotes, just in case anybody's asking <laughs> on the video. Um, but that, yeah, but but that that's right. I, I think this is probably one of the great mysteries, which we always say, which I, I love that that we proclaim the mystery, right? Christ died, Christ rose, Christ is coming again. And we, we say those like they're just three things, three phrases, but there's actually Christ, Christ died and was rose and raised. Now there's this long period where we take the Lord's Supper mm -hmm. so that we anticipate that he's coming again. Um, those things have to be inexorably tied together. So if we tell each other the resurrection all the time, we're remembering them. We're going to live like he's actually coming back again. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I have to be told over and over and over again to do things in order for me to live like that's real. Uh, and of course kids yeah. do, but like I'm 41 and I still have to be told like over and over and over again, I have to be reminded before it even becomes just slightly a part of my habit and routine. Right. 
And so, yeah, for us to be told in our service and for us to be telling one another over and over again, this is the truth. Right. Christ has died. Christ has risen and Christ will come again. Like this is the truth that then affects your life as you go out into the world. Yeah. yeah. Then it, it, then truly in this broad sense, it helps us remember. go to that next step then because if we if we take this which are the parallel is beautiful we've got the judgment of the you know the sea on sin which in our experience is the death of christ of course we have the whole old testament too you know holy spirit's been kind to us we at a time when we can see the whole story backwards but if we just take our our the promise last given was the the promise of of christ death resurrection the spirit and now this this interlude so here's here's moses now in the interlude He's gotten the first promise with the with the uh, judgment. Now he's in the long waiting period. But then what's coming next is we get to see the final fulfillment to Moses as recreation of this new creation. And when you and when you describe that, um, you made this really neat point that you've got the, this one parallel. I and mean, there's lots of parallels, new earth, new growth, all those sorts of things. But the, the probably most powerful parallel is the wind blowing, this ruach of, mm. of God that blows across waters. And I think you, you, you showed scripturally why that's a such an important theme so that now with the Holy Spirit hovering over these waters, new creation again, but we've got something extremely different. So the parallel breaks down because the first creation was made and it was good. This creation is made and it is beautiful by God's command and creation, but then we've got sin in it. So we've got this one powerful parallel, but then this one disjunction between the two. So how, how do we, how do we understand this as new creation? We know fully that this is just in some sense the same old thing especially once you see what moses does with his with his kids and his own dignity um you know that that causes the problem yeah yeah that's why i mentioned it's like it's uh maybe this isn't the right way to say it but it's almost it's almost disappointing that it's not right, completely right. brand new it's like oh man every everything else seems to really line up that this is a recreation and then wait what the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth well, we didn't start out that way the first time. Right. Um, and that's where I think it's interesting how even right in there, uh, mercy and grace continues to be like, like God introduces the, the continued need for mercy and grace right, right in there in this recreation that, that um, it's, it's not like I, 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 played around with this idea of starting over and I don't know how to think about it. Like this is not a God got something wrong and he's starting over. This is that this is that God is starting over in the sense of he's giving us a new chance. Yeah. Um, but, it, but he's giving humanity another opportunity to remember him. He's doing so uh, recognizing that sin is still there and, right. and that sin, when he brings Noah through the waters of judgment, he doesn't change Noah's heart back to something that it like that it never was like mm -hmm. Noah's still Noah right. and he comes through and Noah's family is still Noah's family and so that's the one thing that sort of comes through um into this new mm -hmm. this quote-unquote new creation is Noah's family they're still human beings who struggle mm -hmm. with sin and God points that out to them uh and make sure they remember that hey you 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 were brought through this judgment and you were you were brought through but this was because of my goodness, my grace, my pleasure. Uh, 
I'm recognizing and telling you and reminding you that every, every intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. And that includes the eight of you as you get off this boat. <laughs> and isn't there something too that the, the new creation, while, it's, while the creation is, is, is made new and is, is starts all over again, that the covenant between God and Noah does establish a new era, a new, mm -hmm. there's, there, is, there is more newness than just in the earth. There's a new relationship now, a new level of intimacy between God and people, as, as God is now making this promise, he mentioned the rainbow, um, you know, that, that there's also a newness there. And, and, and I, I do think that that newness is something that is, I mean, I guess in one sense, shocking, because when Moses gets to meet Yahweh, it's a shocking intimacy with this, this infinite God, that that intimacy is what we have with the Holy Spirit in the church now, as we have, and that's, there's a, there's the new man, Paul talks about that too. So I, there are more dimensions, I think, to this newness um, that, that come with the covenant relationship, even though it's not, you know, Noah's soul that's made new necessarily yeah. in this instance, um, in his family, but there is a newness in the covenant. And I think you spent a bit of time talking about the importance of the covenant relationship that God is striking. Yeah, I hadn't thought about uh, that particular idea that it's new, even in the sense of God establishes a, a pattern of interacting with his people, and you really see it. Uh, and the way he interacts with Moses and delivering the law. Um, that's nice. I hadn't, I hadn't thought specifically about, about how that, how that works because there does seem to be like in these numerous generations in in five uh, of, of Genesis, like there are so many generations where it seems like, I don't, I don't know if the implication is that God is silent, but at the very least people aren't remembering God right. and he is not stepping in and and forcing them to remember him like for like hey okay i'm gonna bring the flood now or i'm gonna bring it now or now he waits and waits and waits and waits uh and i think that's his patience and mercy towards us and and uh in over i mean it's over generations we see early in genesis but now he establishes this hey no like i'm, I'm going to talk to you i'm going mm -hmm. to be with you in a way i'm going to be present with you in a way um that i that maybe humanity has not experienced me present in these last generations. And then it just, it continues. I mean, his presence through, yeah, with Moses, his presence through the prophets, of course, in Jesus, and then in the Holy Spirit. Now God is never leaving us and forsaking us in ways that are right in front of us. Right. Uh, right. Now, a question about that, and I, I know it's a little off topic, and you didn't really talk about this as, as a rainbow, but I thought, Maybe we could just chat for a second because I think this is one of those little, little small stumbling points for people. I know it had it has it was for me at one time when I never thought about it as a kid. I was like, oh, God put the rainbow in the sky. And then some atheist, I don't know, making fun of Christian said, like, yeah, you know, water drops didn't uh, <laughs> didn't refract light until God said, you know, let there be a rainbow in the sky. And I was like, oh yeah, wait a minute. <laughs> but I and I I don't I don't know if, if this is me just rambling if you want to add to it but I, the, the idea that god god is not necessarily creating rainbows but he's indicating that is a sign that he like when you that the regularity of the rainbow appearing is now an indi it's just i'm i'm saying when you see it be re remember the fact that i will also be that regular and it's not the fact that rainbows didn't appear in the sky prior to yeah. the way of covenant I, I didn't i don't mean to put you on the spot on that one but i just know that sometimes that can be a little bit of a stumbling block for people yeah that's how i've always understood it the way you just described it that that God takes something that Noah would have experienced um, or maybe even was experiencing right at that moment and says, see this thing? 
or you see this thing, uh, this is now a reminder of my faithfulness and it's a reminder for you and it's a reminder for me. Uh, like every time you see this, um, yeah, every time there's a rainbow in the clouds, it's a reminder for God uh, of what he's done. And it's also a reminder, it's a reminder for us. Yeah, I've always, that's how I've always read it, the way, the way that you describe it as well, that God took something existing and, and gave it meaning and value, which in my opinion, I think sometimes that's more powerful for us when something that we are, something that's familiar, I don't know if this is familiar for Noah or whatever, but I don't think it was newly uh, created. Like when something is familiar in our lives and then something happens significant in our lives that gives that familiar thing. Mm-hmm. new meaning and value I, I i've i've always found that to be to be powerful and i'm yeah, trying yeah. to think of a specific example of how that how that's worked in my life but I, i've always find that to be really powerful because it's something you're used to and now all of a sudden oh i've got fresh meaning on that right and and i for me that's that's how i would anticipate what god is doing he's he's taking something that's ordinary and saying oh no this is not ordinary anymore mm-hmm. And, and to say, and go back to the way we've been talking about mem- remembering, which I think is, there's so much hate to be made in that field, um, that, that to, to, to remember is when God sees it is just to say, every time, the, the regularity, the scientific, physicalness, regularity of the rainbow is, is just a statement of my commitment, which also is that consistent, which I think mm. you're right, at that level, there's a lot of power in God choosing something that's not going to be this sort of may appear and may not appear. It's like comets, uh, it makes it back around, but this is like something that has to happen. It absolutely must happen. When light refracts off a of raindrops it that way, there must be a rainbow. Is God committing himself yet again to something that will be more consistent even than the rainbow, I suppose. But yeah, I think yeah, there's it's, a lot of stuff in there. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's amazing my, my failure to be a Christian because uh, <laughs> I, was, I was riding in the car like, I don't know, a week and a half ago or something, it saw a rainbow and I didn't even think about God's promises. Like, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> like, what, what's wrong with me? I'm even thinking about the story. And I thought, wow, that's beautiful. That's amazing. Like, I can, <laughs> Ooh, see, that's the, I can see the full rainbow from one side to the Wait, other. Get a it's selfie like a, with me in the middle of it. I know, it's like a box of Lucky Charms. And, <laughs> and like, yeah, I thought more about Lucky Charms than I did, than I did about God's promises. And it's, it's, that's why we need so many constant reminders of, of God's faithfulness to us and, and other people around us. Like I need, I need my kids in the back being like, Oh yeah. That, like, man, I wonder if that's the one that, if that's what it looked like for Noah, it's like, Oh, thanks for the reminder kids. You're right. This is about God's faithfulness <laughs> thanks, children. <laughs> uh, not about just like, Oh, that's neat that the rainbow is full in the sky. Like it's, that's why, yeah, it's, it blows me away how often I need reminders of God's yeah. faithfulness in my life because yeah. I, I will keep forgetting and keep forgetting in the sense of it's not that I don't know what happened in my mind, but I keep forgetting to act and to live, to live on God's promises. Yeah, even, even when it's that obvious. Yeah, I know. It's not, it's not <laughs> even subtle. <laughs> I know. It's so embarrassing. I shouldn't have brought it up. <laughs> oh, well, you're only saying what we're all thinking and only what yeah. we're all going through because we all do the same thing. And even, even when it's, yeah, no matter how clear it is, we're, this is, you know, this idea of Israel being a stiff necked people. You know, is the mm-hmm. idea that you won't turn and look, you won't, you won't, you won't do anything other than what you've set your eyes on. Yeah. That certainly defines us too. We're not, we're not much different really than Israel. No, not, not at all. So now the, the other, the other piece that you mentioned when you were talking about, and this is something that I, and I'm, I, I don't, I'm not looking to talk about this or, or, or anything like that, but usually I, I've seen the statement about capital punishment being the, 
invention that God is sort of now giving man as, as a government, you know, what you, everybody did was right in their own eyes. And now there's a way to corporately be responsible to one another. And so that, that sort of idea, which I know that's not what you were getting into there. You were, I think you were asking us not to turn this into a political statement or some sort of a modern party debate, debate about whether America should or should not, um, you know, use capital punishment. But I also know that you weren't saying, therefore, God was not saying at this point, capital punishment <laughs> or government is somehow not viable. He's not making that point at all. So I don't know if you want to just tease that out. Yeah, I, I agree with, yeah, I, I wasn't, let me think, what was, let me, let me say what I was trying to do rather than what I was not. So what, what I was hoping to do is say that, yes, God looks at the history of humanity and how this has gone, which led to him bringing judgment because people had no concern mm -hmm. for the value and the sacredness of human life. And, and so God does something to bring judgment upon that refusal to worship him and in doing so refusal to to live in loving relationship with one another. God takes a world full of evil and hate and murder and says, no, like this, this, this must be judged and this is how I'm going to do it. Hmm. Brings Noah through that judgment in his grace and good pleasure. And then says to Noah, in a, in a sense, I think he says to Noah, I, I just established a pattern here that, that, when, that when you fail to be faithful to me as Lord and King over all of creation. And when you fail to treat each other with love and care and respect because human life is sacred, because you are all image bearers, because of that, when that happens, uh, I require a reckoning. And so if you shed man's blood, I, I will, my man's blood will be shed. And so I think what, it seems like what God's making is this broad statement about uh, the sacredness of human life, that all people, no matter whether we think they're, they're a family or they're enemies, that they are valuable and we must treat them with value. And that we fail to do that, that, that God will bring judgment upon that. Um, we see throughout the scriptures after this, in the law and in Paul's writings, that God often ordains and uses governments, whether it's the the people of Israel and, and their, their system of government that God establishes on his own or governments throughout the world to, to bring this judgment uh, upon people who don't value the sacredness of, of human life. Um, so, yeah, I think that that's, I don't think it's a statement against capital punishment, surely. I don't think it's a statement for it in the sense of it just says, oh, guys, go, go accomplish your, <laughs> go bring judgment. If, if, uh, if, if I see somebody kill someone, I can go, I can go now execute judgment on that person. Right. Um, but he's establishing this, this uh, the value of, of human life, which as I, I mentioned somewhere, like that must influence public policy, right. not just capital punishment. Like, like this, is, this is foundational for, for how we view abortion. That like, right. no, all, all life is sacred. I, it doesn't matter to me at what stage of its um, maturation life life is. Um, it's right. whether it's whether it's older adults who are in their last years, whether it's flourishing adults, whether it's teenagers, whether it's children, whether it's um, kids or adults who struggle with uh, intellectual disabilities, whether it's children in the womb. Like these are all of life is valuable, 
And I think that's what God is establishing there. And then he, he will lay it out in, um, in throughout the law. He'll lay it out different rules and different ways that he specifically legislates this, this value. Uh, and it's a, it's life. a real gift because it is the, it is, it's incredible that in that one short statement is the foundation of all law, right? And I think you <laughs> threw this out that it's not, when you say life is sacred, the implications for that are every law system that's ever been written. Now people disagree on what that sacredness means and who has it, who doesn't have it. So governments have screwed it up. But the point is like, that's the, that's the foundational point of every law that's ever been written in government comes at that. And here God gifts that. And, you know, you could say, how come humans over a thousand or 2000 years couldn't figure it out <laughs> during the time of the Nephilim for some reason they couldn't, but then God said, here, I'm going to show you, here's this beautiful gift of this one principle. And upon that, you will build every human organization <laughs> that, that comes after yeah. well, built on that concept, which is a miraculous gift to be given, to be given by God. question I have for you, Keith, and, um, and is that this is, this is where it gets really tricky, right? Because you, you talked about, you know, shedding someone's blood is not really just killing. It's also in Christ talks, you say Raka, you say, hate. I hate my brother. That's killing also. So it's, again, it, it's the core principle. And then the, and then the implications run really wide and long mm. about not even showing people dignity and love is also on the slippery slope that leads to death. So it's all contained somehow in that statement. So when you were talking about in different instances and in different groups of people where we want to, we, you know, we don't judge, we want to listen, but where is the line? Do, do we say, I, I want to listen and I want to treat you with dignity, but I also disagree with you, or I, I think what you're doing is wrong. Does, and I know you're not saying this, but maybe where, where does that line help us just pastorally when we, when we say, look, I, I think you're wrong, but yeah, but you have to listen to them also. Okay, fine. I've listened to them, but I still think they're wrong, but, but <laughs> How do we how do we do it? Because at the end of the day, our culture is going to say you're not really showing anybody love and dignity unless you accept them for who they say they are. Mm -hmm. And we have to say that's not biblical because there is there is some judgment that has to occur to say this is God's law and we have to live inside of that. And that's right. So I love you and respect you, but you're also wrong. So how do we how do we navigate that so that we're not committing raka here? Yeah. Yeah. The first thing. I think practically is that I'm speaking specifically to our approach when we're interacting with someone who we, we disagree with, or in the end, we actually think that they're wrong in the thing that they're saying mm -hmm. that I want our approach to be, to actually, to, to thoughtfully listen to what, now there are really extreme examples. Like, I, yeah, I want our approach to be that we should really thoughtfully listen to what someone has to say. And that while someone is speaking to us, our, what we shouldn't be doing is thinking, how do I refute this? And how are they wrong? I'm not saying we shouldn't be actively listening because when you listen to someone, you're, you're thinking how to respond. But I, what I think we often do is as soon as someone starts talking, we sense, oh, I know where this is going. or I know what they're going to say. And so I'm done listening. And now I'm just waiting for that gap in their, in their cadence so I, can, so I can tell them what I think. And so... I'm encouraging our approach to people like that, 
to people who we would often deem our enemies, or at least our thought enemies, maybe, um, to be one where we actually are listening. And, and I think that is one of the ways that we show value uh, to people is by actually trying to listen and trying to hear where they're coming from and considering uh, what's going on in their life that leads them to this sort of thing. Because that's what I would want people to do for me, even when they think I'm wrong, because I know I'm wrong in many ways, I'm sure. Um, but but I, I'm glad you bring that up because that's helpful because listening is not a final thing. And listening and then saying, yeah, you're probably right, is that's not love either. Uh, and, and we've talked before, Luke and I have talked before that like love always includes truth and you can't separate the two. Right, right. And, and, um, and so I think that there, there always is a point at which we must, we must proclaim, we must proclaim truth. You brought up sort of how our society is now, maybe it's always been this way, but it's at least uh, much more vocally expressed that, uh, you know, I can be what I want to be. And your, your role, your role in this is to value and affirm, right, right, confirm, uh, right. my thing. I've, I just read a really uh, interesting book. It's not, it's not like a speed read um, by O. Allen Noble. It's called you, you are not your own. And basically, he writes the entire book based off the just the beginning of the Heidelberg Catechism, question one, which is what, what's your only hope, comfort in life and in death? And it's that I am not my own, but I belong body and soul to Jesus Christ. Like that's the foundation of his book. And he pushes back on uh, our entire cultural's un culture's understanding of identity and our culture's understanding of where like affirming each other in what we think about ourselves. So I think that's that's our role as we listen to then push people to see that we all belong body and soul to Jesus Christ. Hmm. And that Jesus Christ is the one that actually gives us value. Jesus Christ is the one that, that, that shows us what is true and what is good and what is honoring. And so, so th that, that is love. <laughs> so hmm. for me to push someone to Jesus and to push someone to, to God's truth in the scriptures, that is that, that's the ultimate love? It, right. it has to be. Um, now you can do that really poorly, and then that's not loving in the way that you're doing it. Um, and so then, in a sense, it maybe ceases to be love. But yeah, we listen and we we give we give an ear to people and we value them as humans. But valuing someone as a human being made in the image of God doesn't equal uh, everything that they say must be true and not and not challenged because. All of us are struggling with the idea that we make our own, we create our own identity and we, our dignity comes from whether or not, like whether or not you affirm me, even in this podcast, if you affirm the things I'm saying now, oh, now I have more dignity and value. Right, right. And, and, and you're a great guy, but that's not actually the case. What gives me <laughs> dignity and value is that, is that I belong to Jesus. And not even that I've like somewhere out there put my faith in Jesus is that Jesus declares that I have value because uh, I'm an image bearer. It's, it's God's work. It's his declaration. It's nothing that I've done. And there, and there's, there's, I think the church in every age has struggled with that because the culture, every culture, and I, I think this is what, what God is giving Noah, every culture now has claimed to know what humans are and what that mm -hmm. dignity means. And that culture infiltrates our mind and heart. And we start defining it in those terms rather than coming back to the one who authored that and authored our dignity, which is God. And I think I think for a lot of a lot of Christians right now in the moment, we are the pressure is to say, you know, you know, we're we're you're only treating someone with dignity when they feel dignified. 
And I think what, you know, what you're saying is that they may or may not actually, that, that to do it in a way that's inconsistent with God, is consistent with God, is a way of defining love and dignity as God would define it, the way that Christ lived it out, the way that Paul and the apostles were told to obey. Even if the world says, well, you're, you're hating me now, that's not actually the indication of whether we're loving, because that you're, you're using a different term here about the dignity. I mean, you've anchored dignity in totally the wrong place. You have it more than you even know you have. It yeah. just doesn't reside over there. It resides in your maker and your creator. And that's where we're going to we're going to put our flag up, our foundation down and build the building there, even if the world doesn't doesn't quite understand it. Yeah, I, I, I love that. You People have so much more dignity and value than they really know yeah. because they're trying to get it from other people. And, and, and it's so fascinating because culturally we, we, we think we're saying that like, I, I create my own identity or, and, and it doesn't matter what any, it doesn't matter what anybody else says about me. Like I have this, but actually it's so deeply matters. We so desperately care about what other people say about our identity and about who we are. Cause like we think, and we say, it doesn't matter. Like I can find dignity in who I am right here but we desperately want other people to affirm that, which is why we require each other to affirm everyone else's, uh, everyone's identity. And that's a, that is a circular, right. like exhausting, eventually leading to death way to live. <laughs> it's the truth is what you just said. You have so much more dignity and value than you can imagine. It's because the creator gave mm. it to you. Right. And, I, and, and like, that's what I think. And, you know, I'm not a scholar. I don't know this, but I think when when God says to Noah to be fruitful and multiply and to and to fill the earth or increase greatly in the earth and multiply, it, I he's I don't think he's just restating what he said to Adam. I think he's drawing Noah back to mm. what he heard that God through oral tradition and what Moses like. I, I think I think he's he's drawn God is drawing Noah back to all the things that he told Adam. Like all this stuff about being made in the image of God. So when he brings out that one line, it's sort of like the summary statement of everything that I said to Adam about who you are as human beings, this is still true. Like right. this is true of you, that you are made in the image of God, male and female. This, mm. this is how we created you. Mm. So it's not just, oh, God's thinking, I better, I'm going to throw that one back in there because they have to be fruitful and multiply because there's only eight of them. <laughs> I think it's an illusion and a reminder back to, remember, remember who you are. Right. Uh, I, I remember who you are. And so, so you do the same and remember who I'm, how I made you. Recommit to the whole, to the whole yeah. package then. Yes. Yeah, everything, everything that Adam was, was told to do, we get recapitulated, which is really beautiful because Christ doesn't come outside the Adamic model. He comes to fulfill the Adamic model mm -hmm. to be the second Adam, the same way we're called to follow in the footsteps of the commands of God and the Adam that that failed. So Noah, Noah is a call to do the same thing, just avoid the tree this time, which we know we won't, but the second Adam will. Um, this, this, and I, I don't want to get too, too far into this. We're, we're sort of uh, coming up on our time here, but that you've repeated this uh, in your own discussion. You started it and ended with it, that this still, this flood story, then if we're, if we take all this into account as a story of grace, and, and that is, that is a tough, it's a tough pill to swallow. If you, if you rack up the numbers of dead here, it's hard to say that, but I, I wonder if one of the things we, which I think the scriptures are pretty clear on, is that God's grace and love is, is something rarely measured in the moment. It's usually measured across the entire plan that God is unfolding. It's a creational, it's a, 
it's an eternal thing. And I, I, I do think that if I could say bear one thing out from the story of Noah, where we can read it wrong, is if you take just the sliver of the judgment, you're not going to see the grace that God is giving. Because for, for an individual that dies, and that's true of an Israelite that dies fighting for Canaan or a martyr that dies under Rome, that's not that little sliver doesn't give the whole story. The real grace is how God is using this to redeem something across, you know, eons and, and eternity that we've always got to come back to that whole story. And I don't, I don't know if, if, if that's where you're headed with that, but I, I see that. And I, I think that's helpful to say, but it is hard to see if you just stop the story right at the, yeah. you know, right at the death yeah. of however many thousands, millions of people. I think that's why it's so hard if you are are particularly outside the church and why I completely understand why this story right. makes you think right. that God is an angry abuse. It's cringy. It's cringy. Yeah, it Honor. is. It is. Because if if your context is sort of all the, the famous stories uh, in the Bible and this being one of them, if, if your context is how do I make sense of Genesis 6, 7, 8, and 9, it's hard. Or maybe impossible. I, I, if if this is if you're only looking at this and yanking it out of the Bible and saying, okay, who is God? Is he gracious or is he angry? Is he right. gracious? Or, well, I don't know. He he was gracious to just a couple people, but he seemed really angry to a lot of people. Right. But when you put it back, when rather than ripping out of out of the Bible and you put it back in the scriptures and and look at it, as, oh, okay, this is this is four chapters in the midst of hundreds and hundreds of chapters. Of, of what God is doing in the world, then it begins to help us see in a way that we can feebly as humans, that God is gracious and loving, even in the midst of these moments of judgment, that this is part of God's big, gracious story. I, I make no, I'll never say this is easy. The right. story's hard. I mean, right. it's just, right. it's just hard because we, and I think primarily it's hard because there are two such two hugely important things that we can't fully grasp as humans. And it's the depth of our sin and how much of an offense that is to a holy, perfect God. And then, and then the depth of God's love in response to that and what that looks like. Yeah. I, I can think really horribly about myself. It is, it's not even close to, <laughs> to, to how bad and how, horrible my sin must be to a perfect and holy God. And, and I don't say those two things that it's, it's our inability to see our, the depth of our sin and the depth of God's love as a sort of, well, just throw up your hands and, and it is what it is. But I think it just means it's a constant aspect of our life to, to be prayerfully asking God, like reveal my sin, reveal the depths of my sin and do that. Not so I just wallow in shame and guilt, but do that. So I see in the depth of my sin, then I see the depth of your grace and your love. Because right. I, I just said on Tuesday at a chapel that like the only way, if we don't have uh, a strong, huge view of the depth of our sin, then we're not going to get the depth of God's grace and love. Right. Right. I think it's too simple for us to just say, well, I'm just glad God rescued some people. He should have killed us all. Right. Well, that's, that's actually, I guess that's true. <laughs> but that's too, sense, right? Yeah, that's, that's a too simplified way to say it. I'm, right. I'm thankful that we should be thankful that God saved anyone. 
That is true. We should be thankful that God saved anyone. But I don't think that's recognizing uh, how difficult a passage like this is to read. Well, and there was one other, there's one other difficulty that's not just in the text, it's probably in us also, is that thing in the West, we, as modern, we really want all of the promises of God to be filled for each individual, right? We want, we want to see the whole story of redemption played out in the life of each individual life. So the person that, you know, who was the child of someone that never had a chance because they were raised by sinful parents and they drowned at the age of three mm-hmm. in the, you say, boy, that, that, that whole thing is that's God just being unjust. But we, I don't think other cultures quite wrestle with that as much. I don't think they say each individual has to be the full story of a possibility of redemption or God's not fair. That's because we pattern fairness on every individual instance. But I think that, that, that the God's work is usually, you know, his, his harvest is a harvest of nations and, and his plan of course, will validate in some way or deal with each individual on their own terms. We don't know how, I don't, I don't think scripture ultimately says how, but that the plan of God is, is always worked out in these large corporate moves for his people. But, you know, an individual that dies of cancer at the age of two, three, or hit by a bus or something, God, God's not done with that situation. And you can say, well, God is not fair. Well, no, life isn't fair. Sin isn't fair. God is fair, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? We're, we're the ones not fair. Um, and, and, the, and the cost of the individual life falls on our shoulders, not his. And he'll redeem all of that somehow. But the story of redemption is, is told in the large patterns and the big stories. And we don't always get to see how it plays out fully in each individual. There's so much tragedy in this world. And I think now we live in a time when we can almost make everyone's life as nice as we can possibly do, which is a lie. We really can't. But, you know, you know, infant mortality rates being what they were, you know, centuries ago when, you know, four out of six children will die before the age of four. <laughs> I mean, it, it, you have to realize that death and sin are always contaminating the human experience and we're never going to get the full redemptive story in any person yeah. but i just think there's an expectation we build up there that helps help makes it harder for us even to read you know the noahic story that mm-hmm. we have to be careful not to let our own western sensibilities overwhelm what god is trying to teach us about goodness we, we've got our own definition of that yeah which i think brings us full circle to this idea of what it looks like to wait well right, exactly and what it looks like to wait in in perceived in perceived silence because because we frame like you're saying because we frame our our understanding of justice and god's goodness in that in that sort of individual i've got to see it in each of these instances way that's that's one of the reasons that we experience this perceived silence by god and so now we are waiting in between uh promise and fulfillment and and uh and and our our recognition our the goal of our life the, the aim of our life is to recognize over and over again from god alone comes our salvation right, right. and if he's our fortress we we shall not be greatly shaken right, right. and yeah that's what it looks like to wait well we stumble and fall over and over again recognizing that god is our rock and salvation but that is what it looks like to wait well in the midst of uncertainty and in the midst of this and the story of god too is not a temporal story it's an eternal story it's you know, he, he, I remember when I struggled in college sort of studying history where you just deal with human evil um, continuum. It's all you deal with is death and dying mm. and, and injustice. It's just, it's, it's the full historical reality of the human condition. You can say, where was God in all of this? And I remember struggling in grad school. My one buddy sort of got a hold of me finally and said, why do you think that you're always, why do you always have to measure what God is doing by the temporal scale? Like he, mm. he's eternal. He's going to bring justice and goodness this is just a little window of that story. He's got infinite past and infinite future. 
So either you either you demand that it be done now, or you're going to trust the goodness of God that He will redeem and rectify all of this. And and I think if we believe Him as King, we have to believe He'll rectify every bit of this. Mm-hmm. Even His judgments are a matter of redemption and rectification. I don't know how. It doesn't make any sense to me. My little brain can't figure that out. And He hasn't told us yet. That's why we have to be faithful. Yeah. And yeah. and and wait, which I think is the is the right word. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Psalm twenty seven near the end somewhere it just says i believe that i shall look upon the goodness of right. the lord in the land of the living right. Amen. it's like that's yeah that that's that's our call in the midst of when we don't know when we can't categorize all the things that are happening and figure them all out uh which i guess in one sense we never can but like our call is continually to look upon the goodness of the lord in the land of the living and just keep gazing over and over and that's again. an eternal thing that's just our little time window here where we think that's got to get done he's got a whole eternal redemption goes on into eternity mm-hmm. we don't even know as paul i think makes that point we need, i don't even consider the injustices here i mean not that he doesn't deal with them i don't even consider them worth worth worrying about compared to the glories and i don't think glory is just fun and excitement i think glory is righteousness and goodness yeah, and redemption yeah. and restoration is so perfect that we we can accept here that this is going to be pain and suffering and that Justice will not be lived out in each life. You know, Jesus himself didn't seem to be overly concerned with getting it all right here. In fact, he kept saying, my kingdom is not of this world. Mm-hmm. There's, there's just a lot to deal with there. Um, but I, I, before we go, I, I, I did want to say one thing. Uh, Keith did speak at chapel in, um, at uh, LBC this, this past week on Tuesday. And uh, something was said about you, Keith. I have never heard said about something, someone before. And the word perfect was used. Oh, no. I, I want you to know the word, not, not sarcastically or ironically, the word perfect was used. And I've, I've not heard another person other than Jesus about whom this word was used. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, but the statement from the sound crew was your head is perfectly oh, shaped. Yeah, yeah. Your head is perfectly shaped. That's true. They were putting on like, I don't know, one of those fancy microphones that I've never worn before. Yeah. And they did say, they said, they said you have a perfectly shaped head. And boy, did I not have a glow for hours after that. I just want everyone to know the atonement of Christ does not apply to the shape of Keith Winder's head. There is, there is there a creational Uh, perfection. Yeah, which I told Mel, I told, of course, I shared that with Melanie immediately. I would think there was text going out. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I, but I'm getting balder and balder by the moment. And what I'm finding is that it's actually not perfectly shaped when you get up top. And so I just don't think they had a, a full view well i i think they were talking about the one span where the head where the headpiece goes so maybe yeah. it's not the entire head but yeah that's true it was just my I, it was my maybe my jawline i think it yeah, was more I'm, about a jawline i'm impressed i i think differently of my pastor now knowing that there is some quality of him that is is not contaminated by by sin and, and degradation so well at least i i, I have sainthood brother I've earned one element. I, I need to be respected in one area of life. <laughs> and it's and it's the shape of my We've head. discovered the back shape of the back of your head. <laughs> yeah. I'll always have that. <laughs> That's beautiful. You'll always have that. <laughs> well, thank you, Pastor Winder, um, for this. I don't know when you're back in the pulpit again, but we look forward to that. I know that yeah. uh, it takes over for a bit. Do you know where the sermon series is going? I think it's it's oh, ba- we're Babel. Saying, saying through Genesis right through the Advent season. Yeah, so Luke's doing uh, Babel this Sunday, the Tower of Babel or Babylon, and and then Advent will start, and we he's doing a series called Waiting with Abraham. So right, right. so we'll kind of in a sense continue through Genesis, but not not following story by story, but what it looks like Abraham was waiting, and now we're waiting for Christ. That's great. Well, thank you for your work on this. It's been it's been helpful to unpack some of these things and rethink about them. So thanks, Keith. Yeah, thanks, Dan.
Friends, thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Cross Reference, a podcast of Wheatland Presbyterian Church. You can learn more about our church and discover additional resources on our website, wheatlandpca.org.